Hey guys, welcome back to a new season of Chop Masala. I'm your new host, Rhythm Patel, and today I'm with a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Holly Singh, and she is a professor at USF. Dr. Singh, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Rhythm, and hi, everybody who's listening to the ACD podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you all today, and I'm glad to have this chance to um, to chat about my work and my background and um, all the interesting things that uh, you all have thought about that we could talk about. So I could tell you that I'm the faculty advisor for the ACD. I have been doing that for a couple of years now. And it's really been my good fortune that um, people who were involved in setting up ACD had been students in my classes and asked me to participate in this role. And so I've been really excited to learn more about the kinds of things you all plan, wonderful activities, um, whether they've been virtual activities, in-person activities, you all have been so creative in, you know, kind of dealing with all of the twists and turns of trying to live and have fun and stay safe during the COVID time. So I really appreciate that. Um, This is my fifth year at USF. I came here uh, immediately from Bowdoin College in Maine. And so, you know, I've been learning about Florida, Florida culture, Florida climate and weather and lots of other things while I've been here. I'm an anthropologist by training. Um, I did my PhD at the University of Virginia and uh, also um, taught and did research at a few other institutions before I came to USF. So I've been teaching for quite a while now. Um, I started teaching college courses while I was a graduate student in my PhD. And over time, I have taught here at USF, I teach a lot of medical humanities courses. And um, before that, I've taught courses in anthropology, women's and gender studies, history, and even Hindi and Urdu language. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on, first of all. And um, you are an amazing advisor. Uh, without you, ACD wouldn't have been possible. This this podcast, Chamasala, wouldn't have been possible. And uh, I'm just glad to have you as our advisor. Uh, fun fact, actually, uh, I actually had um, I actually had Dr. Singh as one of my professors in one of my courses. Uh, great course, by the way. Loved it. Absolutely enjoyed it. And um, yeah, so it was it was just it was it was nice to, you know, have you as a professor because a lot of people recommended you and I they were like you will definitely enjoy the course and I was really happy to do so. So speaking more about your journey, you told us uh what you did and you know uh uh where you went to college and everything. Um I remember you telling me that you did spend some time in India and you did some field work there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that is that is that uh something true, true far beyond a fun fact, (laughs) but it's true. Um, I have been to India many times now. I'm not sure I could count right off the top of my hand, uh, uh, right off the top of my head if you asked me how many Mm -hmm. times it's been now, but I went for the first time when I was in college and I didn't have any family connection to India at that time, but it was just um, something I got fascinated with Indian history and culture from courses I was taking in college and got the opportunity to spend some time studying abroad. So I went. And then after that, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn Hindi. I wanted to understand more about what life was like for people in India. 
And so that kept taking me back. And eventually it took me back in the form of um, being a graduate student, studying anthropology and proposing um, field research in India. So I spent time in India studying language, both Hindi and Urdu. I spent time doing field work, um, shorter trips like in the summertime, and then one really long trip for my dissertation project, which lasted for about 14 months. I've also been back to India several times after that. So now if I added it all up, it would be about four years, a little more than four years that I've spent in India across all those trips. Wow, that is actually crazy. And that's, uh, that's, really, that's really awesome to hear about. Um, one question I, I have is, uh, what's, the, what's like the biggest cultural difference, social difference that you kind of maybe experience? I know there's probably like, you could probably give me a list, but like, what's like the biggest thing that probably stood out to you? Wow, Rhythm, that's a really uh, difficult question. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> and I could probably ask you the same question, you know, between your perceptions of what it's like here and what it's like for people living in India. But um, to me, I feel like there are a lot of differences um, that actually struck me less strongly than they might have struck other people from the United States. And I think that that's because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania in a very small mm -hmm. town surrounded by lots of extended family. And so there were things that I was used to that a lot of my American peers, I think, growing up um, here were not. Like um, everyone knows everyone. Everyone is concerned and wants to know your business. And where there are kind of things like, um, you know, families are quite close to each other. And those are things that were very familiar to me, but also were, you know, I I got even a deeper experience of when I started traveling to India. And that is something that I actually, I appreciated. And also that um, I think a difference that I noticed in India that I also appreciated was that people actually... At, that, at the time that I started going anyway, I think it's changed some since then, people actually had time to sit and talk with one another and just be, you know, kind of like, oh, you showed up at my door. Let's have tea. Let's chat. Let's hang out for a couple of hours. I think that is something that's a lot harder to come by in the United States. And so it's something that I've appreciated in India. I actually, I, uh, I actually have a similar response, you know. Um, uh, one thing I noticed in India was uh, people, like, even if you show up their doorstep at any time, they're very welcoming. They'll offer you tea, food, anything you want. And that was, that was personally the biggest, like, social and, I guess, cultural, too, in a way, difference that I saw here in India. And I was just, it was just shocking, you know, because when I was a kid, uh, I used to live here. And then we moved to India for two years. And during those two years, I learned a lot about my culture that I didn't even know about. So I was just really grateful for those two years I was there. But I'm, I'm glad that you also noticed something like that, too. So speaking more regarding uh, about your profession as a professor, what, what, what exactly inspired you to be a professor? That's a great question. And I think it's one that... Um, I grew into. So um, when I was growing up, 
I was always kind of a nerdy kid. I liked to learn. Mm -hmm. I was good at learning. I loved to read. And especially growing up in a very, very tiny town in a small, very um, homogenous corner of Western Pennsylvania, I always wanted to know more about the world. And for me, the way that I was able to do that as a child was through reading. And, um, you know, I loved going to school. I loved being in conversation with my teachers and exploring mm -hmm. ideas, right? So in that sense, you know, when I went to college, it opened a whole wider world of um, of knowledge, of ideas, of scholarship that I'd never got the chance to engage before. And I just wanted to keep doing that. I went abroad for the first time. Actually, you know, when I went to India for the first time, um, as a, a student on a semester abroad program, it was the first time I'd ever gotten on an airplane in my life. And so that was a really um, transformative experience. You know, it was something I had never anticipated in my life. And it was an opportunity that was just completely transformative for me. And so I wanted to continue down that path. I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be able to go back to India to learn more, to understand more, and hopefully to be able to make some kind of difference in the ways that other people thought about the world too. So it seemed to me that a good way to do that, and not the only way, but a good way to do that would be to continue my education and to become someone who would also teach others. Wow, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that actually. Um, uh, you know, at my time at the Honors College, it's it's uh, surprising, but I I was actually inspired to like, you know, maybe become a professor in the future. Like I, I personally still want to be a doctor, but maybe in the future, if I have a chance, I wanna I wanna be able to like, kind of teach students and you know teach like a course like you know you guys teach at the honors college and you know maybe not 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 necessarily give back to community but just kind of spread my knowledge and just inspire other students too so i don't know it was just something that like i realized i wanted to do and i i hopefully hopefully i get a chance to do that something maybe in philosophy hopefully but it's just uh i i i see where you're coming from and i, I could see how that how that you know um made you kind of lean toward maybe because be, you know uh teaching and becoming a professor yeah so, i really rhythm i really appreciate that and also i think it's great to be able to think um in multiple ways about the kind of impact you can have in your career you know and that you can have impact through things like patient care and research but it could be that you also become someone who teaches other physicians or who teaches aspiring physicians right or who just shares a broader kind of view of life and i think that's totally possible yeah of course you know i mean i'm still young you know maybe maybe my thoughts about teaching they might they might expand and i might i might want to teach at a bigger level and i, I I have no idea. I have no idea yet, but I do know that I, that is something I definitely want to do in the future. Mm -hmm. So, speaking uh, more about you, um, I wanted to ask you about your book. I remember you telling me that you have a you you are writing a book or you are almost done writing the book. Uh, I remember you showing me, um, I think the the front cover of it. Or you're showing us ideas. I think. Do you, can you do you mind telling us a little bit about it and what the book is about and how you uh, decided to write about it and what the book really is about? 
Sure, thank you for asking. And if there's anything that academics love, it's talking about their own work. <laughs> um, um, and I'll say that this book actually has been in process in one form or another for quite a long time. Um, it started from the germ of an idea that became my doctoral dissertation research. So it's grounded in that time that I spent in India doing research for the dissertation. And that was a period of over a year um, between, uh, between language study and initial research and then the intense um, period of field research where I was just in India doing this work, going all over places. Um, the book is called Infertility in a Crowded Country, Hiding Reproduction in India. And it's being published by Indiana University Press. It's due out in December of this year. So it's actually already being advertised online. Um, and we're working on the finishing stages of it right now. So, you know, the whole full manuscript is done. It's been submitted to them. So now um, editors are going over the manuscript for, you know, typos and grammar and copy editing kind of things that I'm going to be looking over in the next couple of months. And then uh, getting to the stage where everything is kind of typeset, they call that when you get the proofs, will be sometime over the summer. And then um, the book will be ready before the end of this year. So I think about the beginning of December, it's going to be released. Um, but it came out of, you know, lots of conversations with people in India. So as an anthropologist, um, I value, you know, centering people's experiences, centering people's own voices, and um, trying to draw attention to the problems that they identify. And um, as I was spending time in India, one thing I noticed is that, you know, family was really important, and children had a very special role to play in families and in culture and society. And I started wondering, you know, I heard a lot in India of people talking about, well, India has so many people and population is a big problem in India. And I started wondering about people who couldn't have children who ha or who had a tough time having children. What would their lives be like? Would it be, you know, easy or hard to live um, in a place where, you know, children are so valued um, and not be able to have them. And so that's what I started to explore through different lenses. Um, but the main one was, um, you know, talking with people who were undergoing infertility treatment um, in hospitals and uh, talking with people outside of those facilities about their own experiences, about the experiences of others, um, about in general, their ideas of like, what would it mean to be someone who suffers from infertility? And that is not just about the sort of medical experience, but is about the cultural experience, the emotional experience. Um, you know, what does it mean to be labeled as an infertile person? And more often an infertile woman, because women often bear the emotional and kind of um, blame burden of infertility, not only in India, but in lots of parts of the world. 
And I really wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore how this issue is represented, um, not only in people's own um, talk or their own ideas, but also in literature or in film or in messages from the government or from health organizations. Um, so that's a kind of, you know, a holistic kind of approach that anthropology brings to studying uh, health, society, and uh, cultural life. It's really looking at multiple viewpoints, um, but also really grounding in everyday experiences of people. Wow, that's that's great to hear. Uh, I can't wait for it to come out in December. Uh, I will for sure link it in the description of the podcast where we post it. You know, hopefully people that are listening to this podcast will definitely buy your book and actually read it. Um, I for sure will give it a read too. And uh, I, I actually had a question regarding your book. I want I wanted to know if um, uh, is this is this something that you can potentially use as a as a as a source of like material to teach for your one of your classes in honors college if so like how do you see it like you know uh taking a role into like you know a lecture or like a activity plan because i know that uh for a teacher you know making making sure making a lesson plan or or teaching online it's uh doing both simultaneously actually is probably really difficult uh do you do you see your book maybe playing a role uh in terms of content for teaching in the future Thanks for that question. Question. I think it's a really interesting one. And I'm not sure whether I would teach my own book in my own course. Um, I definitely, I mean, it will inform my teaching. And the things that I talk about in the book have always informed my teaching because, you know, I do teach courses about India. I teach courses in medical anthropology. I teach courses that have to do with um, interdisciplinary issues around things like reproductive health, reproductive rights, and reproductive justice. And so in that sense, my work is always present somewhere in the classes. Um, it's, I think, more often been the case in my experience that someone else has been teaching some part of my work. So before the book, maybe teaching an article that I've published um, on, in a similar um, area, you know, out of this vein of research and um, that I visited the class and talked with the students about, you know, what they read and their questions out of it. So I'm always really excited and happy when people are reading the work and I'm really excited to hear what they think, what are their responses, what are their questions. And so, yeah, I'm very eager for people to read the book and let me know what they think about it. Um, and to know more about, you know, what in questions, what other questions it inspires for them, what it makes them think about, you know, that um, maybe a comparative case, maybe a story from their own experience or from their family's experience. Um, these things are really gratifying aspects of being someone who's involved in research and scholarship. So I look forward to those conversations. And I know I've enjoyed those a lot in the past, and I imagine continuing that. Do you ever see yourself writing another book in the future? Is that is that is that a is that a thought or like you know a connection that might have ever occurred? I'm just just curious. 
So it took me a long time to write this book. <laughs> um, but the answer is still yes. And I'm actually, I'm right now in the process of another book. It's at an early stage right now. This is going to be a different sort of book in one way, but um, I'm working up and I've already written some parts of it, but uh, I need to dedicate some more time to really bringing it into the full shape of another book. Um, but that book would be actually kind of rewinding to my first very long stay in India, which was um, just after I graduated from college. And I spent a whole academic year as a Fulbright scholar in India. And it was the first time that I traveled to the city that is actually um, the city where I my um, first book is based, where I did most of the research. Um, but at that time, I just graduated from college and I ended up living in a university women's hostel or what that's what they call dorms in India. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm thinking about a book that's kind of all about that time and the experiences um, of that time. And what was it like, you know, living with young women who were university students in India um, as the only foreigner who was living among about 500 um, Indian women students at that time. So I have a lot of um, kind of journals and photographs and um, letters. And I even conducted a survey among the residents of the hostel at that time. So that's the material that I'm working with. And I'm also hoping to take another trip back to India to um, reconnect with some of the people who lived there at that time or were in charge of the hostel at that time. It's funny because some of them I was out of touch with for a while and um, we eventually found each other on Facebook. So a lot of them are Facebook friends now. Um, so anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. So I think there will be the a second book. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And the magic of, magic of Facebook is not you know, it connects people from all over the world. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, steering the conversation towards, you know, uh, more about, like kind of your personal life, you know, I, what, what are some of your hobbies, you know, um, what do you do when you're not being a professor or, you know, working on your book or, you know, uh, I just want, uh, I think, uh, I think the listeners would, 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 to love, would love to appreciate what is actually behind Dr. Singh, um, <laughs> you know, rather than her uh, profession and her book, which is, which is absolutely amazing. But uh, there is, there's a, in my, in my mind, you know, whenever, whenever I'm, you know, with a professor or, you know, I'm, you know, watching their lectures, or I'm like, I wonder what, what are the, some of their hobbies or, you know, what they do in their free time. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself about that. <laughs> Rhythm, I'm glad to think that um, you have the idea that I have free time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it is, it's pretty busy with, uh, all of the duties of a professor and, uh, a parent and, uh, all of that. But, um, yeah, I think <sighs> I have, I have some hobbies. I like to read actually. And I know that might not sound like, um, a hobby, but, you know, uh, during the pandemic times, I've actually been reading a lot of um, kind of sci-fi and fantasy that 
you know, in honors, I could teach. Maybe sometime I'll design a course around that, but I'm not reading it explicitly for that purpose, right? And it's just fun and I enjoy it. And it's a, and it's a change from the everyday. Um, but I also, I also like to do yoga. Uh, I also like to cook. Um, I also just like to take walks. So I don't have any right now, um, super dangerous or, um, you know, extreme kinds of hobbies. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to developing some more of them. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. That's really cool, actually. You know, um, I personally myself actually do. Uh, I, I do yoga, too, actually. I, I, I find it kind of therapeutic and like, you know, it helps on mental health. You know, college can get very stressful sometimes. And uh, I sometimes resort to that, you know, yoga, which is which is a good form of meditation. My parents taught me it. They got me into it. I remember when the, the start of the pandemic and I was just, it, it just, it just sucked being home. So my parents were like, you know, why don't you try meditating or try doing yoga? Maybe you'll actually enjoy it. So I would, I would actually wake up every morning with my, my mom and actually uh, do yoga for like 30, 40 minutes. So that's something really cool. Yeah. I think it's a great practice and especially, um, yeah, you need some kind of stress relief in college too. And we're actually in one of my other courses, we have an assignment where um, everybody is um, charged with trying out over the semester some kinds of activities they would think of as self-care or community care. Could be um, individual-based kinds of things, but could also be um, things that let them engage with their community as they define it. And I think that that's really important and helpful and a good skill to nurture and develop, especially for people who are on their way to high achieving and stressful kinds of careers. It's good muscle to build before you get overwhelmed with med school or something like that. Yeah, of course. Honestly, I wish, wish I had you as a professor for, you know, more honors classes. That would have been awesome. So, yeah, so that was that was pretty much it today. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this Thanks is uh, so. this, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. So this was this was our first episode, uh, first podcast episode for the year. Uh, we're in February, so yeah. Hopefully, there are many more. We're we're hoping to post uh, biweekly. So I hope uh, I hope uh, um, the listeners are. Um, more intrigue uh, for all the people that are coming on. Thank you so uh, much, Rhythm. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, and thank you to the listeners for taking out a little bit of your time to uh, to listen to our conversation. And I'm looking forward to hearing many more episodes. I'm so glad that you all are doing this podcast. All right, guys, that was pretty much it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of this new season. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. If you, any of you guys are interested in our book, I'm going to be leaving a little description down below. And so please feel free to read it whenever you want. And I'll see you guys next time.